three ways to make money in 2023 because I think a lot of you are feeling that the Burr model is very difficult and I mean, rates are up, so it's hard to make cash flow. Everyone's unsure of where mm-hmm. things are going. And so we're going to talk about potentially some things that are still real estate related, but semi-alternative to the standard methods that we've employed for the last probably five, 10 years now that, that that's been going on. And mine are, are not that exciting or sexy or fun. And there's some that I've kind of talked about before, but this is what I'm doing. So, so here we go. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Hey, welcome to the Master Keys podcast. In this episode, we're going to go over three ways each. Um, that you can make money here in 2023. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market with respect to real estate, all that. So we're looking at things that are maybe real estate related, but not just as simple as, as you know, buying apartments. So stay tuned for that. This is a question that we started talking about in the office, and I wrote it down because I wanted to ask you it today. And that okay. was, what was, we'll say, the weirdest closing gift you ever got? Oh, so Chandler and I are obviously real estate agents. So I want to know what's the weirdest closing gift you ever received? Because oh, yeah, this is yeah, you know yeah. why it came up because Little you got Chan. a you got a super cool closing gift recently, which yeah. is what's the type of knitting called? I believe it's called needle felting. Needle felting. Yeah. Uh, for those who are listening, I'm gonna try and describe it, but it's like the fuzzy felt, like the long haired felt. Yeah, but it's, it's like, like t- wool. It's, it's tight. It's very yeah. tight. Like it, it, and they made a little. We, we're gonna have to little flash Chan. a picture of it, but it's a, it's a legitimate. Well, you made a little video on you on Instagram, yeah. But it's a little Chandler chilling on a rock. He's got the little ginger beard and the little ginger hair. Um, kind of looks. I think the outfit you're wearing now is what he's wearing. It's similar. I think he might be wearing a cardigan, which yeah. is appropriate. <laughs> but anyways, so that that came up, and then that's a very cool gift. But yeah, no disrespect the, to any of the gifts I've received over my 14 years from a lot of great clients, but that's the that's the best gift I've ever received. Damn. Okay, that's, it's pretty wicked, man. But there's gonna be some people that are like. What yeah, the hell? I mean, That's the I'd last time I refer and, to Chandler. And, and people are, are sweet and <laughs> gifts are not required at all. They're they're always very appreciated. But I mean, that was pretty awesome. Very cool. What is the weirdest one you got? I didn't tell you mine yet. I, I, you haven't told me yet yours. Let me tell you mine while you think of that. Yes. So yes, I don't know if I can even necessarily qualify this because I didn't actually take receivership or ownership of it. But actually, it's very weird because I didn't end up doing the deal either. So I had someone cold call me to look at a piece of land about an hour, hour and a half outside of Halifax for like, I feel like 25 or 30 grand. And it was attached to a house. And so I went through the work of like trying to get the seller on board to sell just a piece of land. Then I went and met with the client and walked the piece of land with him and three or four of his colleagues. And so we literally put on rubber boots, parked on the side of the road. There was no service. And it was like, 40 acres and we just hiked straight into like densely wooded area. This is when I was starting. So I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I'll do this. So I spent like six hours on a Sunday. I got out there at like seven o'clock in the morning too. Um, and so we trudged through the woods, do all this. And then we made an offer, but it didn't get accepted. And they were back and forth. And then I didn't think much of it because it kind of fizzled out. I, I chased them around. Then I get a call maybe two or three months later and it was a voicemail and it was from the fellow that I was dealing with. And he just wanted to say, hey, he said, hey, I bought the piece of land and I just want to thank you for your help. And I'm like, bro, I didn't. Like, mm-hmm. you, you must have called listing agent. And he did. He had called listing agent after and ended up doing Damn. the deal by accident. He didn't really understand, I think, the whole process. And I think there's some people who do that yeah. sometimes. They're, like, not getting how all the agent stuff works. But he, he said, uh, I want to give you a gift for helping us out. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, he's like, where's your office? And so I gave him our Halifax office location and... He showed up and 
as a gift, he brought me a live chicken. What? A live chicken? In like the little metal cage, like a legitimate, mm. like, a, like a chicken. The Why? shit was alive. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And so we just like chatted out in the parking lot for a while. And I'm like, respect, appreciate the thought. This is huge. I have no idea. Regardless of what it's worth, I just, this is a bit, you're giving me a live animal as a gift. So he was starting a farm on that land. I, I let me preface okay. That's why he was looking at the land and it was farmland and all this. And so he brought me a live chicken to thank me for, for the help. And what did like, he think you were going like, to do with it? Well, I was like, I live in an apartment downtown. <laughs> downtown and the chicken's not going in my car on my leather seats. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not happening. So oh my God. I thanked him greatly and uh, we chatted for a while and off he went. But you're like, hey man, it's not ready yet. You're supposed to feather this uh, and rotisserie it. I then you can give it to me. I like it battered and deep fried. Yeah, but <laughs> he's not ready yet. <laughs> That's my weirdest weirdest what? closing gift. Pretty badass. I'm not gonna play it, out, but I I have the voicemail of, that he left me too, saying that he was bringing me this chicken oh my God. Um, as proof. I saved this and I downloaded the audio file because I was like, no one will ever believe me when I say this, but I have a video of him being like, hey, Neil, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. I have a live chicken for you. And then he brought it to the office. He was sitting outside in the parking lot. Man, I should have okay. brought it into the office and just like let it run around the office. <laughs> yeah. I've got... Uh, the the oh. chicken will probably close more deals than some of the agents in the office. <laughs> um <laughs> oh, no. Um... Man, I've got nothing that competes with that. Um, Just rest of them. I, I, so I, I've got a bunch of uh, boom boxes, like these old vintage boom boxes that I kind of collect. But a yep. lot of those have been, um, I have gotten a lot of those out of houses I've showed or sold. Um, and if you where, have a listing with a boom box and Chandler shows it, so every now and again, like, I'll walk into a room. house and it's so old and untouched. I'm like, oh my god, there's a boom box in here somewhere, <laughs> and I'll find one. And for a while, like, I was picking up, like, some mid-century modern teak furniture like, and things like that. Yeah, like, hey, yeah. they're not interested in the house. Um, <laughs> but, but what interested. would you want for the boombox? And I'd have to go back and, like, give $100 to this elderly person for this boombox in the basement. I'm like, so your people didn't like the house? I'm like, nope, thank you. <laughs> um, or occasionally, like, you'll go into these places and they have, like, unreal furniture. Um, so I've gotten – I actually have a, a sectional – it's a really cool mid-century sectional – that I think is in like four different pieces um, that I got as part of a, of, of a closing of a deal. I was like, hey, is it cool if I ask them to leave this sofa and I can have the sofa? <laughs> but those were my early days, and I'm kind of like, those aren't really closing gifts. They are closing gifts that I got for myself <laughs> as part of a deal. But I've mentioned before on this show Alexis that I bought off of a client, and um, True. it was for a property that I had sold, and... I guess she sort of gave me a deal as a favor for like helping her sell the house, but she also really wanted to get rid of this vehicle and I bought it for a deeply discounted price and then drove it for maybe three weeks before someone wrote it off in front of my house and I made $15,000 on the valuation of it after I bought it. Um, which so, you then flipped into a duplex? Which I then used to buy a duplex. So that was kind of a cool closing situation. For all of you that are asking how to get your first down payment, we've made this joke many times. Yeah, yeah. But it's park your car somewhere, a near blind spot, and uh, let someone write it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't think of anything like really quirky or interesting. Definitely not any live chickens, but that's a funny one. Um, so yeah, what I can't I compete with that, man. I didn't even sell the piece of land. 
and my services were so good yeah that he brought me dinner like unbelievable that's not bad not bad um anyways that's a good transition with alexis because today's episode we're talking about three ways to make money in 2023 because i think a lot of you are feeling that the burr model is very difficult um and i mean rates are up so it's hard to make cash flow everyone's unsure of where <laughs> things are going and so we're going to talk about potentially some things that are still real estate related, but semi-alternative to the standard methods that we've employed for the last probably five, probably five, 10 years now that, that that's been going on. Um, so do you want to start? You want me to start? Uh, well, let's go back and forth. One, 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 okay. one, one. And mine are, are not that exciting or sexy or fun. And there's some that I've kind of talked about before, but th- this is what I'm doing. So, so here we go. The first thing that I'm doing is as boring as it sounds, paying off not great debt. Yeah. Um, and that's going to, some people are gonna like, well, how is that making money? Um, and I understand that. But realize that everything that we do in the real estate investment world is based on an ROI. Like what's the return on investment of what I'm purchasing or what I'm investing in? Yep. And with real estate, that tends to come in the form of cap rates. Yeah. Right? But there's also other calculations, cash on cash, all these different things that you can do. And obviously it's really exciting when you can say, put a hundred thousand dollars into a project. Um, you're able to do some work. The project goes up by a hundred thousand dollars. You're like, Oh my gosh, I just made a hundred percent cash on cash return. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to make this cap rate of 5% moving down the road, blah, blah. Right now for a lot of different reasons, those opportunities maybe aren't out there. So what I'm doing is trying to, um, get some liquid cash and, and I'll, talk about that at the same time, and then use that to pay down um, higher interest products. Because if you pay down something that is at an interest rate of 6 or even 7%, all of a sudden your return on that pay down is 6 or 7%. Yep. And that's actually a really good return. Yep. And it's not exciting, it's not sexy or anything like that, but it's a pretty good return. Yep. So what I'm doing is taking assets that are maybe underperforming or have become effectively liabilities. And I'll, I'll point to a, a really specific example. I have a duplex property that I'm selling. And over the last 12 months, which is when interest rates have started to run, that property on average has probably lost anywhere from 1000 to $1,200 a month, cash flow-wise, every month. Jesus. Um, that's just the reality of these interest rates. And unfortunately, yeah. being in a scenario where you're not allowed to raise rents and me being such a good guy, hadn't raised <laughs> these people's rents in years and years and years and years, yeah. which was always fine because the property was still floating and I was getting all of this appreciation. And the second part is the key because you can take these small cash flow losses on a property when you can justify like, okay, I'm down maybe $400 a month, but the tenant's paying down the equity $700 a month and the property's going up in value by $1,500 a month. So yeah, I'm paying down 400, but I'm effectively gaining 1,900, maybe even $2,000. Yep. We're in a situation right now where one, there's no pay down on the principal, right? The interest rate is is up there. Like there's very minimal pay down. It might be the opposite even. It might be growing. Yeah. Um, Now I've got a, a floating payment so that there's still some principal going, but it's at the expense of more and more interest being paid as well. Yeah. So, and, and a bigger overall payment. So the property is, as I mentioned, probably averaging a loss of a thousand to $1,200 over the course of these last 12 months. Right now it's as high probably as 1500 or more. Jesus. And it's not appreciating the way it was. It is yeah. worth today exactly what it was worth last year. 
everybody you're going it to really have. is yeah because the multi-unit properties are a sector of the market that are more rate sensitive because anyone looking at it as a pure investment the numbers are getting contracted. They're not like single-family homes where it's supply and demand and how much do you want the home and, yeah. oh, gosh, there's not that these many are homes in this neighborhood. People need to make money on these. Yeah. So I've got equity in the property, and I have to look at it. I, I don't like selling these assets, but this property currently, for me, was not performing as an asset. Mm-hmm. It's losing money every month, and it's not going up in value. So yeah. if something is not going up in value and losing money every month, it has actually become a liability. But the money inside of it is an asset, yeah. So I'm going to tap into the money of it by liquidating it, selling it, and then I'm going to take that cash and probably pay down other debt that has a higher interest rate. So I'm taking a situation that is, say, losing me however many, call it, you know, 1500 bucks a month. Yeah. I'm going to then pay off something that, you know, say it's $200,000. Well, effectively, that's the $1,500 a month now in saved interest on something else while also losing that liability. So effectively, it's going to return me $3,000 a month, right? It's plus, again, it's not that sexy or exciting. But it's also um, priming you for the future now where you're in a better position yeah. to when an opportunity comes up and the next run takes place, you're in a position to aggressively buy again. Yeah. So if that $200,000 moved from one property and a debt situation, to pay down another debt changes my cash flow effectively of $3,000 a month. Well, $3,000 a month, you know, what is that? $36,000. That's 18% return on that cash. Yep. If it's, if it's a $200,000 shift from here over to here. So that's a pretty high return on investment just for reallocating equity that I already have in an underperforming asset, which is frankly a liability to something that, uh, is is a better long term asset, especially when you consider that we can't guarantee capital appreciation anymore. I mean, you can never guarantee. Precisely, it. that's the wrong word to use. But we are have less expectation for high capital appreciation in property right now due to the rates that are taking place. Right, so that that means we're not expecting price growth to be nearly as rapid as it was before on investment properties. Precisely. Uh, on properties in general, but investment, like you said, might take a bigger hit because people have to look at them at making money. It's not just supply and demand. It's like I'm not going to buy this building because I don't really need to. And the only reason I'm buying it is to make money. Yeah. And if I'm not going to make money, then why would I buy it? So eventually the prices will start to level. And you're already seeing that. I saw maybe three multi-units on market yesterday do price adjustments downwards, which I don't think I've seen in yeah. like four, not four years, maybe three years. Last three years, usually I see a price adjustment and like, we just raised it 200 grand because nobody bought it. So to put the pressure on, we raised the price. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and the reason this property will sell is because it's a duplex. Someone can own or occupy it and they'll still be excited about it and, and blah, blah, blah. But it's worth the exact same as it was worth last year, which means I haven't grown my equity in it really at all because the, the principal payment on it has been negligible. So, and I, I think that'll probably be a similar situation for the next 12, maybe even 18 months. So over the future, 18 months if that property is losing $1,500 a month, like that's a pretty significant loss. So all of these things, my return on investment from selling it and taking that equity and putting it somewhere else, I mean, it's it's a really significant, it's conservatively 18%, -hmm. um, but it might actually be quite a bit higher depending on how long that property would remain flat. Um, So again, not exciting, not sexy. All right, that's but your number pretty good one. ROI. Yeah, so that's my point number one. What's your Okay. I'm gonna switch my point number one because it's something I've already talked about before and I'll bring it up later. 
But my number one point and for making money today, and I'd say I'm starting to look at doing this and trying to to get a foot in, and I already have a small foot in there, but is looking at operating service-based businesses that like service real estate. And what I mean by that is property management, um, construction, any of those kind of industries, even technically real estate agent or mortgage brokers. But I would real estate agent is, I think, a, a crowded market. Mortgage broker, I think, is a great market to go into. I think volume is going to be down for a little bit, and it'll be a harder place to be in. But I think if you can make it work now, it's good. But more so what I mean by service is basically labor-based jobs that service the industry. Because being on the receiving end, it's impossible to find strong property managers. It's impossible to find any trades mm-hmm. business. Landscaping, like everyone is booked a year out. Yeah, Like it's insanity. I've been... I called seven landscaping companies for a quote. Only two showed up for a quote of the seven that you call. And like, yeah, I tell them like, Hey, there's going to be 10 properties on there. And that doesn't even move the needle. Yeah. Heat pumps. I called, I need 30 heat pumps. I call like six people, only one or two calling back. And I say in the voice, I'm like, Hey, I'm looking to get 30 heat pumps installed as soon as possible. Yeah. And I know one of the listeners here actually ended up getting the contract. We're just going through some stuff to get financing sorted out. Um, but it is brutal. Yeah. And so any of those businesses, you start, your phone will ring off the hook and you can kind of price that. Like you can, whatever the hell price you want, you can do it. It's, it's not, it used to be a market. I know when I got my first trades business, it was like a, a race to the bottom to yeah. see who could get the cheapest price. We could do it for the slimmest margin and get in there. Now it's like, you want to start next week? I'm like, okay, cool. It's an extra 10,000 bucks. People just say, yeah. Property management. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone yesterday who started a property management company and they're like, yeah, there was only two options here. They weren't great, and they were charging 12%. Oh, and a placement fee. So they charge you a placement fee to put in a tenant, and then they charge you 12%, which is ludicrous when you think people aren't even making any money on the buildings right now. Yeah. But they were they were slammed because there's nobody else. Yeah, Right. 100%. And I'm like, you have the older generation. There's even, I saw an article or a video yesterday talking about how the average person in the labor industry, the average age about whatever, 30 years ago was... Um, in the mid 30s. Now the average age is 51. And if you talk mm. to people in that industry, like, no, the average age is probably more like 60, right? And so service and, and that industry as a whole is is phasing, it's getting older, they're phasing out, and there's more and more retiring. Uh, and so there's an opportunity for young people. It's not as, I don't even know, I want to say sexy, but like everyone wants to go out and get a degree and do all these things. I think you should still go and do that, but you should be able to walk out of it and be like, hmm, yes, I, I did a degree in finance, but that industry is, is is slammed. There's a million people applying to these jobs. They're super competitive and they're offering pay rates of 60, 70 grand. What would it take me to replace that? Oh, if I manage 40 units, I can make that much money. Can I handle managing 40 units? Yeah. Will I be working full time? No. And is there an opportunity to do it? Put an ad on Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace and I guarantee you'll get applications. So Property management, landscaping, you want to do window washing, like any of these industries I know are just slammed out there. And if you have the skills with contacts for carpentry, plumbing, electrical, like it's ludicrous. I was talking to my electrician and he said, even though a lot of projects got canceled and stuff, they're having their best year ever this year. Even though their cost of doing Mm, business is higher, they're having their best year ever. And he's like, you know what it is? I can set my prices wherever I want. Supplies are way up. But they're and I see my bills. They're they're up tri- about probably triple now. Yeah, they doubled oh, the cost crazy, of material yeah. and then they doubled the cost of labor. And that's where they're at. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're still we're still making money. And everyone knows you you've heard it in the news. Wages have not 
grown immensely. They've gone up. They've gone up a lot, but not as much as the prices of things have. And so now's an opportunity to go in, get in service-based industries. It'll help you get a bunch of cash ready when you want to make a buy. It'll also give you the leg up that if you're building your own units or doing your own stuff, you now have part of the industry in place. And what I mean by that is like you have the management in place to handle. So now you can buy 100 units, right? Like you can actually fathom taking care of that. Whereas if you're on your own and you're looking at that, you're like, I can't run this. Or if you go to build a building, you're like, oh, well, now I own a framing company. Like you can save on that portion, right? And that'll allow it and make it feasible for you. So my, my number one thing right now for making money is get into services. You don't need to have a huge company. Anything you can think of or you see or anything that you call and takes a while to get a hold of or they're delayed or they're saying we're booking six months out, just consider that means there's a ton of room in that market and you can do things small. Like you don't need to be huge. You can start even keeping your current job find the job and potentially subcontract it out to get started, right? Like run an ad saying you offer framing. If you have a framing contact, land the job yep. for 20K and sub it to your guy for 18. and You make two grand for the sub. Yeah, we talked about that before and I call it like it's essentially margin flipping. All you have to do is be the person who can say set up a landing page, run a few ads and answer the phone. Yeah. Um, bonus points if you can actually quote the work. And that, that's where it gets a little bit difficult. You have to quote the work. Um, and know what you're doing because you don't want to under underquote the job. But it's so true. I mean, I think every time someone calls me and it's either clients or it's other real estate agents or it's just random people message me on Instagram like, hey, do you have a person for this? And I give them five names and I'm like, oh my God, man. Like if I just took two seconds and called the person and be like, hey, what would you charge for this job? Like, cool, I, I charge 1500 bucks. Like, cool, it's going to be 2000 bucks yeah. and you're going to give me $500. Yeah. And that's all that the person who owns the company does to begin with. Mm-hmm. And like, there's an opportunity to do that if you want to build it out. Exactly. The other thing, like, I've had a bunch of people ask me about becoming a real estate photographer, and I never knew what they made. I've come to find out the average makes between 150 to 220 grand a year as a real estate photographer. And a bunch of them are slammed. Now, inventory is low, so I don't know if I'd necessarily get into that right now. But just like there's so many little industries that feed yep. into this. It's like sewer scopes. Yep. There's only a couple people in the city that do sewer scopes and, and septic scopes. They're not that's not a super sexy. I gig. was hammered at an event and I told a guy to go into getting a sewer scope and like I think he went out and bought the thing because he was a plumber. I'm like, it's so much money. And then I felt bad. I never used them because like I got my go to sewer <laughs> guy. But I really hope he made his way about it because man, like you knock out three of those a day you, at four hundred bucks a pop. Yeah, I was either three fifty. Yeah. And you're at the house for thirty five minutes. Well, sometimes they go a little sideways, but and sometimes they go so say an hour on average. Plus an hour of travel. So two hours. So you can do three of them in a day. That's a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. That's that you could literally comfortably probably make 10 grand a month just doing sewer scopes. You're self-employed. So you pay business tax. You can write off your vehicle and that's all you have to worry about. Yeah. And it's a, like there's you have no liability. You run the scope. If it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it. And you're just telling them what you see. Mm-hmm. And you have a video to be like, here's the video. Yeah. Like, Anyways, that's mine. Get into services that, that potentially feed the real estate market. This way, I again, I'm saying, I mean, services can feed anything. The reason I say real estate market is it's a real estate podcast, but service yeah. industries are in desperate need. What's so interesting is how scary it is to make a pivot. And super scary. It's super scary. Doing it again right now, and it's scary like, as hell. It's really, and I think of how many people out there are pining away at a sixty to $70,000 career, which is a great amount of money, and it's probably more than they even expected, but now you're finding with inflation, it's not paying the bills, yep. and how risky and scary it would be to pivot into starting a contracting company or going back and, and going to trade school 
when you say, you know, you got the softest hands, you got a finance degree, <gasps> and you're going to go back and get a trade, like, that would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying, like, oh, this would be an easy thing to do. Like, it would be terrifying. Seems counterintuitive, too. But And it does seem counterintuitive. But my gosh, man, if you could pull that Band-Aid, I think some people would be incredibly happy that they did, uh, especially if you went down this, you know, oh, I got to do a degree in this, and, oh, I got to get a certificate in this, and, like, oh, I'm told, like, this is the, the path to have. But in the back of your head, you're like, damn, man, like, I love working with my hands, or I like being outside, I like doing these things. You could do it right now, and it'd be very lucrative. Insanely lucrative, um, and it's going to be but, years yeah, a, before that cools off. What a risk, and how scary would that be, man? Like, I, I think about it myself, and I also don't do it. Um, and you you can, I mean, depending on how much you want to work, you could potentially do it on the side. Like, I know I had yeah. one of my um, sub-trades. Like, he has a full-time government job because he's like, I need the security, I want the health plan, I want the pension. But then he works uh, a mixture of evenings and weekends to to do his other business. Actually, I know a lot of my mm-hmm. colleagues who have a full-time job and then they have like a property, that, that one for sure, property management. They take on 40, 50 units because it gives it gets some exposure to the industry, potential deals from their from their clients, and they make a bit extra cash on the side. Mm-hmm. Everything 50 units at an average of 1,500 bucks a month, you're making, say you charge 8%, which would be cheap in today's industry. Um, so that's 120 bucks a unit. So if you have 50 of those, that's six grand a month. Mm-hmm. So that's an extra seventy-two thousand dollars a year. Now you're gonna have expenses on that. So even if you take in half of that, that's an extra thirty-five, forty grand a year. And it's a small business. And now you're writing off your vehicle, and you can write off a bunch of other stuff that implies or that applies to your buildings and units. So it's like, hmm. Now if again, if you're making seventy k, so now you just took your income up by about sixty percent, mm-hmm. like yeah. with a side hustle. That most managers I talk to, they say, yeah, there's a bit of work getting the building filled up when I get started. But if I make the effort and pick good tenants at that point. Like, especially in today's market, of the 40 units, you're probably going to have five of them turn over a year. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to do my number two here. number two. Uh, but I want to change it. So my number two was actually <sighs> just sharpen your pencil and make your existing stuff more efficient. Um, raise your rent. Change that Cut shit. your costs. Change that. Well, we talked about that before. That's boring. We've got sharp pencils. Um, Doesn't I, mean we're using them, but we have sharp pencils. <laughs> we have sharp pencils Spe- in speaking storage. For, speaking for myself. Um so yeah, but that that that's something. But I'm gonna skip it because I have wanted to do a business with my sons uh, in order to teach them a little bit about. This guy's trying to put his kids to work. How old are your kids again? Seven and eleven. All right, yeah, this sounds right. Can they sign? Is that like are they allowed to sign legal documents? <laughs> I mean, Shay's got really tiny hands. I think he'd be a really good electrician. <laughs> um, no, I just want them to learn about running a business. Yeah. Right. I think it's just a really great thing for kids to learn. And it's math and it's all these things. Um, and I do have an idea that I'm going to get them engaged on. And it's going to be very small. Um, however, making you know, shoes at, at, <laughs> at their age, <laughs> they make a little bit of extra bucks and it's kind of all gravy. Yeah, yeah. And again, I just think it's a really good learning experience for them. Are you going to take a portion of the money? I mean, I did come <laughs> up with the idea. <laughs> no, so I own 80% of the business. You each get yeah. 10. <laughs> um, but... The premise of it is very simple. <laughs> it is that we are going to buy a specific product, and I already know the product. We're going to buy it on bulk through Alibaba. The hell, you're taking one of mine off my list here. Oh, really? Okay. Well, this is good. Um, so it is a, um, again, I won't say what the product is because I don't want someone to steal my idea, but I've looked at it already through Alibaba, and you can get the unit price to around 15 cents a unit. Um, 
So it's quite small. On Alibaba, that could be anything. It could be like yeah. TVs. It's, 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 it's quite small. And I'm not sure. I haven't bought anything actually through Alibaba. So I don't know then what is on top of that in, in terms of shipping and taxation and, and customs and all of that. I'm your man. Um, okay. <laughs> I want 25% of the business. Neil Alibaba himself, uh, <laughs> Andrino. Um, so, and then the product is such that we could sell it. I mean, think of how expensive everything is. This is something that literally is going to sit at the cash register at a couple places. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a knickknack. So it's probably going to be around $6.99 or $7.99. Is it mini skateboards? Uh, no, but not a bad idea. Might, might steal that. <laughs> um, so, and I'm just going to Sorry, how much are you going to try to sell it for? I don't know, six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. People listening are like, if I see that, and I know he paid fifteen cents. For it. Um, but then what we're gonna do? We're gonna take the product. We're gonna brand it. Yeah. Right. And then we're going to repackage it, and and we're gonna sell it. Um, I'm into it. And I I want them to understand the whole process. So I'm gonna show it to them and be like, well, how many should we bring in? You know, it's Alibaba, man. Like you bring in a hundred, you can bring in minimum order you can bring five thousand. Right? Um, and then. We're going to deliver it to stores, and I'm going to explain to them, well, the store is going to take their share, right? We're going to take our share, and we'll see how many and how much, how many would we have to sell? If we sold 100, how much money would we make? And all mm-hmm. these things, because I want them to understand that. And it's not going to be crazy lucrative, but it's a simple idea that I'm like, part of me is like, I could just do this for myself, and I could uh, cut these kids out of it, <laughs> you know, and make an extra thousand bucks a month myself. Um, but yeah, I still think there are opportunities in that space yes. because everything costs so damn much. And I know like I'm walking through a place. I'm like, oh, I'll just pick up one of these. It's like, oh, 12 bucks. I'll just pick up one of those. Dude. 20 bucks. Right? Phone so chargers if, at the damn gas station. Oh, it's a good example. They yeah. are hosing people. Yeah. Holy God. I was like on a road trip. The one stopped working and I went in there and they're like, it's $19.99. For like this janky, and it barely works, by the way. Yeah, this janky six-inch cord, and I was like, "Really, bro?" Yeah, and like that's what it is, man. Like that's how we make our margin. We get you, and I'm like, "You got me." Like you fucking yeah. screwed me. I also went in there the other day to get a gas canister, ten-liter gas canister, uh, twenty-two dollars. The gas that went in was only like twelve bucks, and I'm like, "Yeah, bro." But what they know, the like, hell? the person buying that has run out of gas down the road. Yeah, so they're gonna buy this thing. <laughs> Price is no object. Made me feel like Did really. Did you run out of gas? No, it's I in the boat. Okay. And I left yeah. my gas canister at home. Yep. And because I live You're in the buying, country, man. I'm like, well, it's gonna be 15 minute drive yeah. home and 15 minutes back. Then it's so gonna waste on. 30 minutes to go do this. I want to see on Alibaba how much a gas canister is right Dude, now. I, oh, Jesus. And then the other annoying part is walking to home hardware. They're five bucks. Yeah. Having said that, man, I couldn't believe this. I had to go in and get. Um, like a duct cover for you know, for um, an air exchanger, like just a little plastic circle thing. Yeah, yeah. How much do you think those are? Well, because they're specific, twenty two dollars, twenty six bucks, and they're not that specific, man. They're a plastic circle. It's the same circle that every in. house has too. I'm trying to see a gas. But again, I, if you AliExpress it, it would have been nothing. I've been, I've been. This is my thing now. I see stuff on Amazon, and I already know gas it's the canisters same. not coming up. Gas. Gas bucket canister didn't come up. No, like it's it's coming up like the. Con- I bet compression. you they might not be able to sell them because of um, safety sh- crap. There might have to be because there's a bunch of little like writing and stuff on them. There might have to actually be something. So here's like an, a, a maybe do a fuel tank. Fuel tank. This is a 20 liter, like impressive unit with a pump, um, and it's six dollars and eighty three cents if you order ten. 
Yeah, see, I and, and I, I've got a 10 liter, so half the size for $23 plus tax. Look at this little, oh, look at this little adorable one. Uh, oil drum, that's what it's called. Anyway, yeah, it, it's just, mm. I think there's something there for that if you get the right product and you're not thinking that you're going to get rich off it, but like, hey, man, if I sold, if I sold 200 of these units um, and I make five bucks a pop, right? Like, oh, it's, it's exactly, it's a good bucks, business yeah. for a, a kid to get started in and or, I mean, I've talked about it on here before, but I started with wholesaling car products, exact same yeah. thing. I was like, these are so expensive. And I was in high school, university, and I was only making whatever, 10, 20 bucks a transaction. But I was like, oh, I'm doing a couple hundred transactions a year. I'm like, oh, that gave me my first $10,000, $20,000 on the side while I was still in school and didn't really take anything out of me to do it. And it was, I made it products that I liked and used anyways and fed into the thing yeah, that I wanted to be a totally. part of, which was the car culture. Um, so... I'll, I'm gonna go into mine in that same in that same vein since you just talked about, but that's I have wholesaling materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely an industry growing there, and there's a lot of people entering into it. But wholesaling materials right now, I you can do I would say really well with it, and there's everything is available. Like mirrors, you go on Wayfair or you go to a store, a mirror is 120 bucks. Yeah, if you bring in a million generic circular mirrors off Alibaba. They're probably ten bucks each. Mm-hmm. Vanities, like you can buy fully assembled vanities, and I know that there's developers that are they're doing it. I bet you it wouldn't take long for you to set up a little shop on like Facebook Marketplace selling stuff, and it would get to the point where you have enough recurring customers. You could have a little space where you would order in fifty, a hundred vanities and and sell them off. Toilets, flooring, like literally any item you can think of, and the prices are so much more chill, like insanely. Like you can get a beautiful vanity for 50 bucks. And you're like, well, who's going to want that? I'll tell you right now, having talked to developers that build these big, beautiful $300 million buildings, you go in, they look amazing. Those vanities, everything in there, the mirrors, any of the cupboardry, all of it, including even the countertops a lot of the time now are cut and made in China and sent Mm -hmm. over. So don't be afraid being like, oh, it's going to be chintzy garbage quality. It's what everyone puts in all of their buildings. And you're not building buildings with American Standard and these super fancy vanities. At the end of the day, you have to look at what things are worth and you're not going to get additional rent. It is a business, so you have to profit. These things last just the same because the problem is, yeah, cool, the high-end fancy branded vanity might last 30 years. <clears throat> the style is only going to last 10 years. Yeah. And so you got to replace it anyways, right? So I would look at bringing in all sorts of different products. Like I know in the heat pump world, there's a million people doing the containers of heat pumps. Flooring, I feel like, is a bit crowded, but again, I think most of our listeners are in Atlantic Canada. I think we have a unique opportunity here. Like, I think Ontario has a ton of people doing this. I think on, I think Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada does not. And I would say that from trying to have bought stuff. Like, I had people reach out that were trying to wholesale me flooring and, like, no rag on their business, but they weren't really cornering the market, I'll say. And they weren't necessarily bringing in stuff that was on trend, too. It was yeah. like, oh, yeah. I mean, good idea, but wrong product. Yeah. Exactly. So I think I think you could even get if you approach like small mid-sized developers and offer to them to handle it and give them the better discounted rate, they'd even order in advance. Like you could get yeah. signed order contracts and probably like twenty-five to fifty percent deposits on a lot of the things that you were going to bring in. Um, anyways, that that was my idea as well. Same sort of deal. Bringing in little products, um, real estate related would be nice. You could do really really well with it. Again, I started by getting my first down payment together by selling car products, which was paint, car parts, and then actually wholesaling cars. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, my number three. Um, gosh, man, I feel like mine are so boring. Um, 
I'm really interested again in dividend, the dividend space. Yes. Right. Anything that offers a dividend, I'm hugely interested in. All at me. Because um, if you're not familiar what a dividend <clears throat> or a dividend re- uh, reinvestment plan is, effectively, you buy into something or you invest something and they guarantee you a return. It uh, doesn't matter if the share price is up or down or sideways, they're going to continue to pay a dividend, whether it be monthly, quarterly, annually. And a lot of dividend products out there are 6%, you know, maybe even 8%. And when I was looking at uh, a few things, you know, I'm, I'm completing a refinance right now. I'm doing a few different things. Uh, I'm selling a property, all of that. I'm looking at what should I do with the funds? And again, in the case of this one sale, my plan is to pay down some other debt because I look at that really simply as like, all right, that debt over there is worth, you know, 6% right now. So effectively by paying that down, I am as unexciting as it is getting a 6% return on that debt. Having said that, if, you know, it makes more sense to write off that debt as an expense, which often it does, right? This is the thing with paying off debt is someone owning rental properties realize that is your big expense. So when you're trying to kind of keep your numbers down for tax purposes, you have to fine tune how much debt you, you take off your books because that is a nice expense to write off. So you get a good return on that. It's not just the say 6% that it, it costs you, there's also the how much tax does it save in having that debt. So it, it gets, gets a little bit nuanced there. Yeah. But the other thing you can do is just take that cash, throw it in some boring thing that pays you 6% return in a dividend. And or, we all battle this real estate, you know, demon in order to hopefully get cap rates of 6% and appreciation of 3%, mm-hmm. which effectively is a 9% return on investment if life is going really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not a passive business. It is very, very, very active. It's very, very hands-on. And yes, you can tap into that cash and you can often tap into it tax-free through a refinance. But let's be honest, that play is not available right now in a lot of cases. Yep. And it's not that exciting or sexy um, you know, the numbers just aren't, there's not a lot of juice there. So if you can't do the traditional model of, let's see if I can get a 9% return on this investment and then be able to, uh, tap in tax free to the equity. Um, well then that model is not going to pay off in the way it has say over the last five years. Mm-hmm. What if you could do no work whatsoever and just return a 6% um, value on your money again, not that exciting. You're going to pay tax on it. Um, there's not these big windfalls of cash, but man, it's not a bad model either. If that's close to on par with the return that you're hoping to get in a very active hands-on business, which is what real estate is. I debated talking about this today, but because you don't want to feel like you're selling your product. I don't want to feel like I'm selling my product, but I am a hundred percent on board with this. Obviously you guys know, I started uh, Keystone capital with my partners and that's the idea. We pay an, a dividend between 8 to 10%, depending on your investment amount. Um, and a, we guarantee the principal. And so you get a dividend check every month, just like a rent check. But you do literally nothing. Like, you don't do a single thing. You wire the money over. We sign agreements. And then you just get checks, checks, checks. And you have the ability to withdraw your money with notice. So for me, the way I was looking at it is that exact same thing to what Chandler said is most of these properties are capping between 5 to 6%. And then we bank on capital appreciation. In the next couple of years, there might be a chance where there is no capital appreciation. And so you're not making that amount of money. Additionally, you're really stuck because you can't raise your rents. 
at the pace your expenses might be growing. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that you drop below those 6% cap rates that you're at right oh, now. Oh, as I said, like we're all hoping to get the 6% cap rate. I'm not saying we get it. And if you have a, exactly. And if you have a refinance on a 6% cap rate but now you're paying 5 to 7% interest, are you really making any money? Mm-hmm. Right? So I think in the interim, looking at these other opportunities, I had this written down is dividend paying stocks, um, REITs, things like that. But the other problem with a REIT is you're exposing yourself to a good chance of losing capital appreciation because that stock price might run down, right? So I'm I'm big on that. And I can say personally, that is obviously what I'm doing. I'm putting a good majority of my cash aside into this to receive dividends until I see opportunities in the market. And then I'm going to make those those leaps back into it. But I am all for that. I think it's exactly, it's a very passive way of making the money because it is a very active business to be involved in real estate. Additionally, in almost every sector, whether it's a business or commercial property, there is concerns that there's going to be depression downwards. And you can see that by even just talking to a bunch of banks, they're not willing to put loans on a lot of these properties. And the reason they're doing that and they're not willing to, it's not because they don't have funds, it's because they're concerned about what's going to happen to those markets. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like that one a lot, obviously, and I'm not pitching it, but I am pitching it. Let me know if you're interested. The challenge with that um, is that, you know, yes, there's a big cash um, hurdle. It's it's, it's cash prohibitive to get into big real estate for sure. But also to make those dividends really get exciting. Yeah. You need a bunch of cash in there too, right? Like, you know, it sounds great. Like, oh man, six to 8%. But that means if you put in a hundred thousand bucks, you know, over the course of a year, you make six grand on it. It's not that exciting. However, you get it to a bigger amount. Um, and it can be quite exciting. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it, it exactly. It's not. It's not going to be as as exciting. But it's again. It's the idea of passive. It's when you're looking at the passive options and safe options. Mm-hmm. That's what it gets down to, right? And like, it, there's a lot of like people leave money in savings account and GICs at three four percent. Yes, GICs now I think are around five, which is, is good. Yeah. But for a while there, they were becoming less valuable based on inflation. I'll blow that right. shit out of the water. Yeah, blow yeah. that shit out of the water. But anyways, I'm go. done selling. Good call. Uh, I'm going to do my last one now. My last one is still real estate based, but that's investing in smaller communities. And that means outside of town. I think most of the cities that we're seeing were low caps to begin with. And so they're getting beat up and there's less opportunity to make money. Smaller communities are also getting beat up. And it's, I think it's giving opportunities to buy some of the multis at, they're already discounted. I think further discounts and they cap, they're at such high cap rates that even at high interest rates, you still make money. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, with the amount of population growth in every city in Canada, these smaller communities are continuing to get more and more overflow. And there's not an expectation for at least another two to three years that there's going to be slowdown on the immigration, which I think will continue to press uh, people into these communities, which will greatly uh, increase the returns on, on those buildings. So I think there's opportunities available now where like it's like the second the market slows market. down, it comes yeah. right back down to like the downtown cores of all the cities. Yeah. And so those outside areas yep. become really soft. And that's when I think it's a great time to go in and buy. And so you're seeing that now. Like recreational secondary properties have slowed down dr- dramatically. Yep. Um, and so a lot of operators in those areas are kind of like, damn. And, and it's, it's the general thing of sentiment. They're like, this market's slowing down. I want to get out of it. I want to get rid of it. And it's the same thing I said earlier. I think a lot of the average ages of operators, especially in those areas... Oh, it's old. Is, is yeah. older, right? Yeah, like there's a sure. few older people that typically dominate a lot of these these towns. Um, and so you can usually get a pretty solid price. If they're business people, you can usually work with them on vendor take backs. And again, even at the higher rates, usually because the price is so much lower, you can actually still get reasonable financing. Like in mm-hmm. town, if you go to get a six, five, 
5% cap building, which might even be high. Honestly, a lot of resale buildings seem to be going at like 4, 3.8. Yep. And then the bank applies their, well, if you're doing commercial mortgage, they apply their 7% rate against it. They're like, we can give you 45% loan to value. And you're like, how the hell I've had a couple people ask me like, oh, how, how should I know what this property is worth? I'm like, run it at a 7% cap. Yeah. It's going to be what, what will the bank, how will I know how much the bank will finance it? It's like, honestly, you'd have to go through that and they'd put it through their machine. But if you run it at a 7% cap, that's probably about what they'll say it's worth on a conventional thing. Yeah. So whatever it works put out to. all your expenses in too. Yeah. Not just the oh, ones yeah. the seller gives. But like yeah. There might be a couple extra like garbage and lawn care and man, like all this other crap. Yeah. Because if you run something at a 7% cap and it comes out at 1.5 million, mm-hmm. Um, the bank will probably loan 75% on that 1.5 million. Yep. The problem is the seller's going to want 2 million. Yeah. So that's what you're going to have to Because that's what things with. have been trading for yep. because rates were a half of what they are now, if not lower. Yeah. Um, so whereas when you go outside of town, they're already trading at 7 to 10% caps, mm-hmm. right? So they, they, they're understanding of that. So there, there's an opportunity that you can get that full, that full freight financing. Um, and like I said, there, there's still good pressure, I think on upwards pressure there. And there might be some turnover in those areas as well because the demographics outside of the city are a little higher. So you might have people that are going into retirement homes and things like that. Um, So I would say investing in smaller communities, I think the opportunity for that is starting now. You still have to be very prudent. And I don't think that means go out and just buy anything. I think you need to try and find the best deals in those areas. Yeah. And again, we've talked about it before in other podcasts and go back and listen to those, but it's a whole different animal. Like if you're not local, it is a bit of a pain in the butt. If it's an hour and a half, like you're going to need a manager, you're going to need a superintendent. You're going to want to go out before you buy anything, like find a couple GCs or tradespeople or maintenance people that you can kind of rely on. And uh, like I said, a property manager, a superintendent, because if you have a small thing, you have to drive an hour and a half. Like it's the worst. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. It's going to be ludicrous. Um, but I'd say that's, that's my number three. I had in here what I'm personally doing, but I think I already told you guys. I'm putting it in a more passive investment for now because I don't have a ton of faith in the market and I kind of want to see where things play out. Um, yeah, I have some other stuff I want to talk about, but I haven't. It's a deal that I am working on, real estate based, but I'd like to get a little further into the deal before I bring it up on here. So, to recap, mine were effectively um, liquidate some underperforming assets that are really in in some cases right now you have to if you look at it honestly you might find that you have some liabilities on your books that aren't actually assets and aren't going to be assets for another 12 to 18 months uh, and then put that on you know pay down other debt and effectively get a six percent rate of return just by doing that Uh, my number two was small start a a little small side hustle margin flipping potentially find a a, a product number two was Uh, and my third was just look at some of these dividend passive uh, investment things if you are going to get cash, you know, rich, which I think we, we've mentioned that that might be a good idea in these uncertain times. Um, that's a good place to put your money um, in a boring but safe way. Before I go over my three, I just want to tap on what you said there on number one, which is looking at underperforming assets. I, we've been talking about more and more, but guys, make a spreadsheet and look at where your expenses are. And now applying a rent control you might be very surprised. Without rent control, you could be a little more free. Be like, oh, yeah, this year I'd probably bump it up 100 bucks. And like, oh, mm-hmm. I can only go up 50 bucks mm-hmm. these couple of years. And then put inflation on your expenses. And like, look at what your average growth has been on your expenses. And you might be like, yeah. oh, shit, there's going to be a point here where this becomes an asset that doesn't make money. And you can look in the history of time, but every province, country that's ever put in rent controls, the apartment inventory has pretty much dropped off because it's hard to make money over an extended period of time on these buildings unless you got them for so cheap back in the day. Um, Additionally, capital appreciation gets beat. And I say this from a place of like, I still see buildings in Toronto 
in lower income neighborhoods trading for really not that much more per door than what we're trading at. And that's because they're rent controlled and it's all income based anyways. Yeah. So a two, 200 unit building in Toronto, you're like, well, it's Toronto. You're like, yeah, but it only makes the same amount of money as the building in Halifax does. Yeah. So it's only worth the same amount because that's how they trade. And you're like, well, but they can go up so much, but they can't because they're rent controlled and they can't move the rent. So then it becomes this fixed asset. So don't be assuming like, yeah, I'm going to buy this old building here for 150 a door. And for sure in 10 years, it has to be worth 300 a door. Well, no, you can't even, it's all income based. So you can't get the income based. You can't get the income high enough to back that to make it worth 300 a door. So just a consideration when you're, when you're looking at these and when you also extrapolate your, your actual investments and see what would be an underperforming asset. And if it's an underperforming asset in five to seven years, it might be prudent to get rid of it sooner than later because in five years, once it becomes underperforming, you may be losing value then at that point in time. Yeah. So anyways, I want to go over my three. Like I said, uh, number one for me was operating a service-based business. I am so behind this, like whether it's construction, uh, management, um, helping people do marketing online and then selling the leads that you get. Like there is a ton of demand for these things. But if you can get labor in place for people, that would be the strongest thing. Um, number two was same as Chandler's, but it's starting a small business, wholesaling materials and products that relate to construction. Construction is going to, is starting to blow up more and more and it's going to have to because that's the only way we're going to fix this problem that we have. Yeah, I and mean, it could soon become more government funded too, right? Like they're going to have to do something for housing so they're going to be printing money which yep. makes you think that that gravy train is not going to dry up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then number three for me was investing in smaller communities outside of the core of the city. I think they've slowed down more than they the main sure. core cities and they already traded at values that would still make sense in today's uh, interest rate climate, and that would allow you to get full financing on them. So I think looking outside the city is another great uh, alternative to continue investing in real estate because I understand once you get the bug, you kind of feel like you want to just keep buying keep more, yep. right? Like it's exciting, it's fun, and, and it is a good way to keep growing. You should never stop. A lot of people, like the second you stop, you you start shrinking, and I've said that before, but you've got to be really prudent what you do now because you might lose money on some of these deals and you don't want to over overextend on some of them. So... And then number four is for me is is dividend give stocks. Give me your money. Give me my give me your money. No, but uh, seriously, you should look at, at some options there because it might be a great way to park your money for the next year or two. Um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thanks a lot. Peace. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out. Broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.